welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome to another episode of Barnyard Language. We're excited that you are joining us here on the podcast today. And usually we start off with our updates. Katie, what's the news from Iowa? Not much. It's really gray and disgusting outside. It's January in the upper Midwest of the Northern Hemisphere. So it's gray. I love that people from the Midwest think that the Midwest is like an actual geographic location that the rest of us understand. (laughs) Maybe other people do. I don't know. But I really have no idea what Midwest means. I know you say it. I know you say it. (laughs) It means something to Americans. This is the thing, too. It's a a contentious thing because there are people in Ohio who would say that Ohio is the Midwest. And it's not. So there's that. there's that. How are things at your place, Arlene? Oh, it's good. The kids went back to school this week. So that is always exciting and hard to adjust back to. I've been having to wake some people up in the morning, which is difficult for them to handle. But everyone has been able to get to school on time every day this week so far. And it's Thursday. So that's pretty good. And on the weekend, we actually had a barn party, which was pretty fun. It started out with my mother-in-law discussing, my mother-in-law and I discussing whether we should host a Christmas party for the neighbors because that was a thing that we used to do back pre-COVID times and probably a few years before that and there's a bunch of new neighbors on our road and nearby so we thought that would be nice and then she suggested waiting until after Christmas when things aren't so busy and then that morphed into inviting a whole bunch of people because it was one of those if you're cleaning up anyway and if we're preparing food anyway so Yeah, it turned into kind of a big event, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, so we just had a drop in, come to the barn, have some drinks. A friend of ours smoked some meat for us. So we had brisket and yeah, it was a really good time and a nice chance to see some people that we haven't seen in a long time and meet some new neighbors. And yeah, it was nice to feel connected and be able to have a big gathering again, which hasn't happened in seems like forever. So did it strike you as rude at all that you were eating brisket in front of your cows? No, not really. No, I was, okay, I'm not going to cool. eat silage. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> they were okay with it. I thought maybe it was like you giving a warning to the ones that are still there. Yep. You'd be too difficult and I will eat you. Yeah, that's right. And other than that... Yeah, that was been it. That has been the focus for a while. There was a lot of cleaning. We have like a entryway in our barn that has seating and it's heated and stuff like that. So that's where the food and stuff got set out. But the, of course, the party kind of migrated out to amongst the cows where all the farmers want to be is checking out the cows. And my daughter's um, heifer got moved in just for the night because they decided that everyone was going to want to see her anyway. So she got pulled out of the heifer barn and into one of the box stalls. So she was on full display. Was she very admired? Yes. Yes. She got lots of compliments. But yeah, now everything's cleaned up out there. 
We've got a bit of extra food left over, so I've been stack, s- sticking that in people's lunches, which is nice. There's extra baking and stuff done. And now it's just winter. Like you said, yeah. it's cold. It's gross. It's January. It's January it's in Ontario. Yeah. Which probably means about the same thing as January and I. Yeah, probably pretty much. Yeah. Just one time zone over, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right, well, let's go ahead and move into our guest for this week. All righty. Today, we are excited to be talking to Julie Stoner, joining us from Stoner Family Farms in Indiana. So, Julie, we start each of our interviews with the same question, and this is a way to introduce yourself to our listeners, and we ask, what are you growing? So that this can cover crops and livestock, kids, families, businesses, and all kinds of other stuff. Are you growing? Good morning. Thank you, ladies. Thanks for having me. Right now, currently, I am growing three daughters, a farmstead, as I call it, and a business. And of course, a very long to-do list on a daily basis. Yeah, that's ongoing. Yes. So what ages are your daughters? My oldest is 12 and she's in seventh grade. My middle is almost 10. She's in fourth grade and my youngest is six and she's in first grade. Very cute. And what kinds of things do you have on your farmstead? We have sheep is our big main item. We have a large flock of sheep. We have a couple goats here and there. We have a lot of chickens, honeybees, a couple cats. You're just trying to do an inventory in your head. What else is out there? Yes, exactly. <laughs> So approximately how many sheep and what breed are you working with? Sheep, we maybe have 300. We have several different breeds. We have Dorsets, Southdowns, Suffolks, and then of course, a lot of crossbreeding in there. And is that kind of the mainstay of your business in terms of sales, I guess? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I sell our lamb meat at our farmer's market, started off with just that. And then over the years, it grew into honeybees and eggs and goat milk soap and right because if you're already there exactly exactly (laughs) exactly yeah I feel like too for so many folks it's oh we'll get chickens oh now we have eggs if we have eggs we should sell bread if we're gonna sell bread we should have honey and it's like pretty soon it's a whole huge exactly it's like the what the old lady who swallowed a fly and then pretty soon you've got (laughs) 300 sheep and that's how this happens Arlene, what's this about the uh, immersive smelling experience? Oh, I was just going to say that I follow Julie on Instagram, our account follows Julie on Instagram and looking at some of her soaps, she's introducing her Christmas line right now. And I want Instagram to have a smell function so that I can have a full (laughs) sensory experience of your soaps because they look beautiful, but I'm sure they also smell great. Thank you. I think you'd really need some sort of a mute button on the smell function because we also follow like the keeping cows moving hoof trimmer and I have the feeling that Julie's page probably smells a lot better than his does yeah Um, maybe you could opt in and out yeah page which which imagery you want to have smells associated yeah I feel like there are a lot of farm accounts yeah there are some that would be less pleasing so Julie do you come from an ag background yourself or did you just wander into it I do not come from an ag background. I like to say that I married into it. I'm learning as I go and I'm loving it. I 
that's, that's really sums it up. I married my husband. I didn't really do anything on the farm. And then little by little, and as my girls got older, I was available more and he would ask me to help him. And then it's, it's just become what we are and what we do. And is the farm your family's full-time gig or do you guys have, I hate to say off farm employment because so many people work from home now, but non non-farm employment because I think this is something we don't talk about much in ag and it's I think it's something we miss out on is that balance of outside demands plus the farm when we don't my, mention that my husband does have an, a full-time job off the farm and thankfully his dad my father-in-law runs the daily operations and is there when my husband isn't there thankfully that. So Julie, one of the ways we connected with you was through the Women in Egg Instagram account. And I was curious about how you connected with the other people who are the other admins of that account and what the inspiration was behind that actual Women in Egg platform. Yeah, I forgot about that, but that's right. That is a great account that I have been following for years. And when I first found it, it of course was different admins and it was just really inspirational. And for a long time, I felt like I was alone in my own little world before I found Instagram and the other ag women that I follow. And so that account just always brought light to my day. And like I said, helped me know that there was other women out there like me. It's a really fun one to follow. And it, like you said, it really highlights that there are a lot of people out there doing a lot of different things. And it's, yeah, it's neat to see the diversity in the ag community for sure, because it, it is easy to get stuck in that our little pocket of the world <laughs> is the way it is, right? And that, that ag looks the same when there's, there's so much out there that we don't get to see on a day-to-day -day basis. Julie, I know you're a regular vendor at farmer's markets and then artisan shows during the winter. What has your experience been like in terms of marketing and what has been successful and what hasn't been? Personally, I love to hear about things that went wrong because a lot of times they're really funny, even when they're your own things that went wrong. Yeah, I just finished up my ninth season at our local farmer's market. I do two days a week at the markets and I'm getting ready to do an off-season market, which is much smaller, but I'm still thankful for the opportunity. And one thing, of course, that has helped greatly is social media. I would not have the business I have without social media. And it is a little different. My Facebook following is more my local follow, people that I see weekly. And my Instagram following is more people from all over the country. And so it's a different group of people. I've also built a email list, which is a must. If you have a business, you have to have an email list. And then word of mouth, of course. I have so many great customers that just share about our products, tell their friends. And I have customers that come and say, told me about you. I'm excited to try your product. So you can't beat word of mouth either. I think that's really true. Someone who's also done direct sales of farm products is that customers assume that I'm going to say nice things about our stuff because that's <laughs> how that works. But yeah, you cannot be somebody else saying it. Um, did you say as well that you farm with your in-laws? Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. Have you gotten any pushback from them about the importance of social media or are they more hip than some people's That's families? That's a good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that. I would... They're great with social media. They're not necessarily on it. Sometimes I feel bad or awkward if everybody's working and I want to pull out my phone to film something to share it on social media, but I haven't gotten much pushback. Yeah, I think my in-laws have been great about acting like it's, but 
we do still hear some of that. Those kids these days are always on their phones. I'm like, yeah, that's how we make sales now. That's that's where the money comes from. And I think, especially now that more people are working remotely, I think there's a better understanding too that we're possibly actually doing something productive. How big of a town is your regular market in? What kind of a community is it located in? I think we're somewhere around 50,000 people, but there is a lot of towns that same size within this area. We're just about about an hour outside of Chicago. And so I don't think we necessarily get Chicago traffic, maybe a little bit. We're right at the tip of Lake Michigan. So we do have a lot of people in the summer that are visiting or they're at the National Lakeshore that they'll tell me that they're just stopping in for the weekend and things. So that is definitely a benefit. So the new market you said you were going to be trying out, is this your first year there? Yes, it is. And will it be inside? We're we're both from northern places, so we know how cold it can get. I'm hoping that this is an indoor market, or are you going to be wearing your heated boots? It's, thankfully, it is an indoor market. Oh, good. I know Katie already asked this question, and maybe there isn't anything that hasn't been successful, but were there have there been things that you have tried to sell at farmer's markets or have gotten into and then decided they weren't, either weren't you or weren't successful? financially, things like that? Yes, there's been a few items, nothing that was a big main seller. I tried to sell some spice rubs. Not a, It wasn't a big seller for me. There was some other beeswax products that I tried to sell and the time it took to make them for the price point that people were willing to pay. It's just some things just aren't worth it. And that's okay too, to this isn't worth my time. So I'm, I focus on the things that my customers love and, and it gets my attention. It works great. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's good to know when you're, that you're to recognize that your time is valuable and that, yeah, if the price point isn't worth your time, then it's okay to let stuff go to rather than blame it on the product or the customer necessarily. Do you also do on-farm sales or delivery, things like that, mail order? I am not shipping our lamb yet, although that is on my someday to-do list. I would love to be able to ship our lamb across country, but there's a lot of regulations with that I have to get in order first. We do sell in the off-season from our home. One thing that's been a great program is what I call our winter subscription, and it follows the same concept as a CSA, where the farmer, me, picks the cuts and the product that I put into a little box for the customers. And then that is offered at about a 20 to 25% discount. And because it's me, it's a once a month pickup where a lot of vegetable CSAs are once a week and it runs through November, December, January, and February. And this gives me just the opportunity to move my product, to use up what I have a surplus of. And the customers love it because they're getting lamb through the off season and they're getting it at a discounted rate. And it's grown every year. This is only my fifth year doing that program. And it's grown and it's become very popular. That's a really good idea. Do you have a lot of crossover between your farmer's market customers and those people in the winter? Or have you found that those are two different crowds as time has gone on? It's definitely crossover customers. They're so sad when the farmer's market ends and they don't want to stop getting lamb. And so they sign up for this program and then they can at least get it through February, which holds them over usually. And so we start back up in... And it seems like, too, that's such a nice way to push customers to try a cut that they might not gravitate towards otherwise. I know selling lamb for us, we had a lot of customers who only ever bought stew meat and ground lamb, and it can be nice to throw something different at them. And I don't want to say not give them a choice, but inspire them to try something new. So sounds better than, yeah, too bad you're getting this. As someone who's 
done a fair number of markets myself. What is your preferred market seating situation? I feel like we really don't talk about how long sitting in metal folding chairs, what it does to your backside. I guess I was pregnant for two winter markets as well in a slightly heated fairgrounds building with metal chairs. So I have some big thoughts on that one, but... Do you have any opinions or advice for folks? Well, thankfully, I was I have not been pregnant while I was at the markets. I can imagine that's rough. I am a firm believer in standing. I feel like that's more inviting and it just looks better, but I am getting older and so my feet and knees and I start to ache and so I definitely have a chair that I sit down in. I have a really nice comfortable, like rocking type foldable chair. It's awesome. It is not a metal chair, Katie. <laughs> and we have the same ones and yeah. they're amazing. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. I, my kids are four and five and I got pregnant two weeks before we started market the year that our daughter was born and she was two weeks old at the last winter market. So I spent the entire season pregnant and then most of two more seasons pregnant. So yeah, I generally totally agree about standing, but that uh, in the interest of my ankles not actually exploding, it yeah. seemed wise. But yeah, the uh, the folding rocking chairs, my in-laws don't listen to this show, but that's what they're getting for Christmas because they keep stealing ours. So <laughs> they're, uh, are yours the kind that have shocks in the back, basically, so they don't actually have, they're flat on the bottom, but they rock? Yes, that's exactly. Yes. Oh, they're so good. So good. We should, I'll post the information for ordering those for other yes. folks. It's, that makes me feel really good too, that you have the same ones. <laughs> I don't know why it feels so special, but it's a good connection. So you're homeschooling your three kids and what, what led to that decision and <laughs> what advice do you have for as someone who can't get it all done in a day with my kids gone for most of it? How do you make that happen. I don't get everything done in a day. That's at the beginning of the show. I really meant my to-do list is growing every day. Homeschooling has, that's a totally different topic. I could probably talk about that for another hour. It's just something that was never really on my radar, of course, until our first daughter was born. We lived out of state away from family and just, there was some things that I was unsure about. And, um, it, I just felt like it was something I wanted to try. And I said that I would just try it for her first year kindergarten and here we are, and she's in seventh grade, and I've added in two more girls, and it works for us. It is hard to get everything done. I have a pretty strict schedule of our mornings are spent on school. I sometimes tell people that schooling the girls is like my full-time job. And yes, there's some flexibility. If I need to run somewhere or do something quick, of course I can do that. But in general, I need to guard that time to make sure that I can get their schooling done. And then we're usually done right after lunch between 12 and one. And so we have the afternoon to get the rest of our things done. I feel like that is a big thing when you're home, especially with farming is that people assume that if you are on the property, you are available for whatever else they might think you should be doing. And that can be a hard one to talk people out of. Yeah. Would you say that your to-do list is growing faster or slower than your laundry pile? Slower. My laundry pile well, is insane. <laughs> <laughs> is it avalanched yet or is it still like one? Yeah. 
own yeah yeah we're getting the real talk on this one i just keep buying more baskets i i I don't know whether i think that's going to help the situation or what but i yeah i just buy more baskets and think there that's the solution i just don't have enough baskets because the laundry room's (laughs) on the main floor the bedrooms are upstairs yeah it doesn't make any difference (laughs) there's now there's just more piles in more different rooms but at least they're slightly contained. That's true. So. Yeah, they're less likely to tip over. Yeah. I have more baskets, but the boy child has been stealing them to use them as sheds for all of his tractors. <laughs> for all of his so, yeah. Yeah. That's a so, whole other thing. Yeah. From following you on social media, Julie, I know that your girls also, part of their homeschooling is joining you at markets. So are they pretty good salespeople or are they more behind the scenes? What's their market personality? The older two are very good salesperson. They've been up there since they were young. The youngest just does her own thing. But the on Tuesdays was part of their school and they would pack their backpacks with like independent work, things like silent reading, spelling, and that kind of thing. And then they would definitely help me with the customers. I would have my middle daughter who's 10, almost 10, count back change. And just, I think that they're really getting life skills. There was a lot of opportunity to talk about why we're giving back change. At first, that was very confusing. If they're buying something from us for $9, why are we giving them back change if they paid with a 20? And because it was only once a week, it worked. If it would have been two or three days during the week, that wouldn't have worked. That would have been too much time away from home to do schooling. But it worked for us. We would come home and do the subjects like math that we couldn't get done up there. And we would get a full day of school in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Are there other ways that you've tried to incorporate the farm into the school day or into their education? Definitely. We've had some projects like incubating chickens. That was definitely a science unit we did. We've studied sheep a little more in depth, not on the seventh grade level more for my younger girls, just about the birthing process and some things like that. It gives lots of opportunities, I imagine, for different ways to teach. So as a parenting and egg podcast, we're always interested in the benefits that people see in raising kids on farms or on the land. What is your favorite thing about raising kids on a farm? I love that we're together as a family every night. We don't live at the farm. So every night we meet at the farm. My husband comes straight from work and me and the girls load up and we all work together. We all have our own roles, but then we all work as a team. I love the work ethic that it's instilled in my girls. And of course, I love right now we're having lambs and I love that they get to witness new life, that they get to understand animal care and just really have a sense of ownership. The chickens are really the girls thing. It's their project. And I love that I can tell them this needs to be done or that needs to be done. And the only time they pull me in is if they physically can't do it or don't understand how to do it. And then they have a lot of pride in their chickens and selling their eggs. Do your girls work pretty well together then? Yes, I would say they do. That's so great. I think looking at raising kids on the farm it's such a good practical education of what we actually learn why we actually learn math why we actually learn science these I think for a lot of people it's really hard to understand why we learn things when it's just because it's in a book and for a lot of people learning just from a book in a lecture is not a good way to to understand and retain information anyway. What is, what are some of your biggest struggles and worries when it comes to raising farm kids? I can say that I love 
the work ethic that my girls get from the farm. They're hard workers. And I love that. I love seeing that in them. But then on the same side, sometimes I'm worried that our rigorous schedule, I worry that they're going to resent it or one, why was I raised like that? Or why did I have to work so hard? Um, Just because every night it is expected that we go to the barn and we do this and we do that. And last night we were in the barn until nine o'clock. My my girls were in the barn until nine o'clock. They didn't get dinner until shortly after nine o'clock. And sometimes I just have those days where I'm like, oh man, is this okay? Is this normal? We have a little Halloween party we're supposed to go to on Saturday at a friend's house. And we're in the middle of lambing. And I'm like, one, are we going to be able to make it? Two, are we going to be late? Is Ken, my husband, even going to be able to go, even if me and the girls can go? And so sometimes just the jam-packed schedule, it worries me that that they, when they're older, they do understand, they appreciate the hard work that they did and that they understand why we did it. And it's just the lifestyle we live. And some people live differently, but this is how we raised them. I guess I worry about the same thing. And my feeling generally is that if it's something that you're actively worrying about, it probably means that you don't really need to worry about it because- A parent who didn't worry about it is probably the one who's actually screwing up their kids. This is probably just what I tell myself to feel better about things, but I feel you can fairly tell your kids, I appreciate that you do all this hard work and I know it means that you miss out on stuff, but you're part of this family and that's what this means. Where I know parents where it's just the expectation and it would never occur to them to show any level of gratitude to their children for that. And I think that's where the problem comes in when it's just expected and never appreciated. But also my kids are little and generally still think it's super fun. So, (laughs) you know, it it is a hard balance for sure, though. I know that we're in a similar place. I've got kids around the same age. My oldest is a bit older and my youngest is about the same age as your youngest and finding that balance of age appropriate chores. And I mean, kids being kids, they're probably always going to complain that they're, they don't want to do something or it's too hard or some days it's easy. And some days there's the grumbling, but that could happen whether you're just asking them to bring the laundry upstairs or (laughs) clean out a calf pen. Like the amount of work sometimes doesn't matter, but I definitely hear what you're saying. And I know, you know, I know people as adults who are on both ends of the spectrum, right? Who resent the amount that they had to work as a kid or are maybe not resentful necessarily, but yeah, maybe wish they were raised in a different way or that their parents had different choices maybe. And sometimes it is about families who don't have, don't have the choice. And it does seem like what you're doing has been gradual and there've been choices along the way. So it, it seems that there's at least a sense of balance there that as the kids have gotten older, you've been able to add things that, that they can be responsible for. What are some of the goals that you have, Julie, for the farm and for your family going into the I would like to continue just slight growth with this business. Year by year, it seems like I want to put a little bit more into it or I have different ideas. I would love to get our goods in more people's hands. I would love for more people to try lamb. There's so many people that have never had it or scared of it or think it's gross. And I am out to change that. We also are in the middle of building our dream home. And so one of my goals is to get that finished, get moved in. I would love to have a farm stand there and just keep working towards the future and growing my business. 
That's exciting stuff. So are you at this stage of you've made all the decisions and now things are coming together? Are you, what stage is the house at today? It's been a long process. Drywall is about ready to go in. I have most things picked out. So hopefully we're on the tail end and kind of the downward slope and we'll be in it soon. That's exciting. So Julie, going back to getting more people to try LAM, what approach do you take in getting people to give it a chance. I know around here, a lot of the older generation ate a lot of mutton, both on the farm and in the military. And generally, I haven't been able to get them to eat lamb for anything. But I also ran into customers, like I had a customer who said, I had lamb once and it was really dry and chewy and gross. And I asked where she'd had it. And she had lamb chops at a casino buffet. Of just there's no way that's going to be good. There's absolutely no chance that was going to be good. So I'm wondering what your approach is because I'm guessing that you're probably less aggressive than I am about <laughs> telling people how horrible that was. Good. I just encourage, I just try to encourage them to to try new things. I explain the difference between mutton and lamb. In my opinion, I explain how the animal is raised is going to affect the flavor, how it's cooked. I have recipes that I recommend. I have those ready on little postcards to hand out. And I also will steer people to certain cuts. I personally feel that ground lamb is the strongest in flavor because the fat is mixed in higher ratio. And so I'll steer them to something more tender, the shanks and how that's prepared. We also do like a breakfast sausage and bratwurst. And because that has spices mixed in with it, it's more mild in flavor. And I'll tell them to try it and come back and let me know what they think. And I get mixed reviews. Some people still say, oh, I didn't like it. And some people, of course, do love it and then become a longtime customer. What's your favorite cut and way to prepare it for your own family? Our favorite way is loin chops on the cast iron or the grill, which is minimal spice, but those are a little bit harder to come by. So I definitely use ground the most in shepherd's pie or lamb burgers, but loin chops, you can't go wrong with lamb chops, right? It's the classic. See, I'm a big fan of braised shanks and now I'm going to have to go out to the freezer and see if we have any. Yeah. Yeah. Low and slow in the oven with a bottle of dark beer and some tomatoes and an onion and just chef's kiss. Yeah. My uh, my father-in-law has recently gotten out of raising sheep, but we still have quite a bit in the freezer. And I'm with you. I'm a chops on the barbecue person, marinated. My, and even my in-laws who raised sheep never ate it. So there was one time we were having a family barbecue. So I prepared lamb and steak. And then when it came to supper, they were everyone was eating the lamb. And I was like, I prepared steak for you people because you said you didn't eat it. And they're like, oh, this is actually really good. <laughs> but... I think they were more of a, just cook it till it's really well done. And then, yeah, it does. It, it takes a certain touch, I think. I know the uh, the customer I had who had only had chops at the casino, I told her to cook it, heat the grill up, throw them on, flip them over, take them off. And she said they didn't even use a plate when they took them off the grill. They just ate them straight off the bone. It's <laughs> like, that's a pretty good compliment right there. And it is immensely rewarding to have somebody to have somebody enjoy something new. Sorry about that. The dog is very excited about something. God knows. So Julie, we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at the county fair and that category can be real or made up, what would it be? I would have liked to have said soap making, 
But I know, and I admit that I'm not the best at that. There's people out there that are so much better at it than me. So I would say that I would dominate a category if I had to cook without a recipe. I am not one of those people that follows a recipe and gets on Pinterest and makes it exactly. I like to cook by just throwing things together and hoping that it turns out. And it usually does. I feel like I cook a lot the same way. And I know it's really frustrating for people when they ask for a recipe then. And I'm like, I don't know. Like I would, I'm not one of those people who will intentionally leave ingredients out of recipes that I share, but it's entirely possible that I totally forgot and I never measure anything when I'm cooking. So it's, eh, I don't know. There's stuff in it. I can tell you that much. All right. So I will move us into our cussing and discussing segment. We've registered for an online platform called SpeakPipe where you can leave your cussing and discussing for us and we will play them on the show. So go to speakpipe.com backslash barnyard language and leave us a voice memo, or you can send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com and we will read it out for you. Katie. What are we cussing and discussing this week? Arlene, the last couple days have been a lot colder than they were. Well below freezing ice in the water buckets days. And I have taken over doing morning chores, which I really enjoy. And I'm going to go ahead and go with the hot take that I love winter. I love cold weather. I am here for it. But every year I forget about what bullshit it is to put on that many layers and how hot and sweaty and disgusting you are by the time you get all your layers on to go out and then you come back in and then you have to take all your layers back off and then you're hot and sweaty and clammy and disgusting again and I assume this isn't just me but my nose runs like constantly when it's cold and it's just so gross it's just that gives me Ugh. flashbacks to those moments as a kid where you're like, you got your whole like snowsuit on and the mitts and the hat and everything. And you're just like, you need to get outside, but they won't, whether you're at school or in your house, I'm just feeling that, yeah, that, that kind of like panicky feeling of I'm too hot. I need to get outside. Also, we really need to bring back stirrup pants because trying to put on, I'm wearing like joggers, whatever. So I put my overalls on over my joggers, but then I put my boots on and then my under layer is like all the way up to my knees and my overalls don't really fit over my boots. And there's got to be a better way. Onesies. 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 That's true. If you just had a onesie, we should get a hold of Muddies and talk <laughs> yeah, to her about yeah, this, yeah, we'll you know, uh, and inside coverall and an outside coverall, just <laughs> multiple go. layers of coveralls would really be a look. Uh, Julie, sorry. What, what do you have to cuss and discuss? Katie, you took mine. That Oh, sorry. I, I, the <laughs> with this weather, we normally don't get weather like this in mid-October. We've had several frosts already, which ruined the garden. Had lots of tomatoes that hadn't quite gotten red that are now ruined. Yesterday and today, we were in like a winter advisory because it's a rain, snow, sleet, grossness. And same, I'm all about winter. I enjoy winter and what it brings and snow. I love snow, but not this early, not the rain snow mix. It just, it ruins a mood, right? How can you be happy when the weather is like this? (laughs) It's that wintry mix. They should just not be allowed to even say that anymore. Yeah. Because they don't, wintry mix sounds eggnog and pine needles are going to rain from the sky. And what they mean is straight up bullshit is going to rain from the sky. I yeah. just, yeah. We don't I'm know not what here to, for that. What it is. <laughs> it's 
it's yeah, gonna be a it's something. something. Yeah, it's gonna be gross. Ugh. Anyway, I had forgotten about the wintry mix. Arlene, what do you have to cuss and discuss? As you, Katie, I'm a schedule person. I like knowing what's coming up, which is, and I get that other people don't work that way. But what I really is bugging me lately is these events that I know have been planned by people but they don't communicate those plans until right before or maybe a few days before. Say, for example, parent-teacher night at the school. I would like to go and talk to my high schoolers' teachers about their academics and all of that kind of stuff, but don't spring it on me. We're going to make it happen, but you probably knew a month ago that you were going to have a parent-teacher night. I'm going to guess that you probably put it on a schedule somewhere, but maybe tell the parents so that they can put it on their calendars because I have a calendar for these things. Anyway, just trying to be flexible, but it's not one of my strengths. I will admit I am obviously also a calendar person and I married into a family of people who say things like, we're not really calendar people. And I'm like, <laughs> cool, but you wanted me to plan something and execute it. So it's going on the damn calendar. Yeah. And you better show up. Yeah. Or not, but it's not on me if you don't. Yeah, that's like, right. I don't care if you show up or not, but I will not be responsible for it. Yeah. Some things cannot be spontaneous if you want people to actually yeah. be there. Julie, I'm gonna, just going to guess that you probably have a calendar. Are you a paper planner? Are you a digital planner? What's your, uh, what's your go-to? Uh, I do have a calendar, but I am also very fly by the seat of my pants. Uh, that's my personality, but I am forced to write things down and have a calendar. I have one of those really thick planners that has all the notepads and sticky notes and random notes falling out as I flip through. Yeah, the to-do list from last week, it got partially done. <laughs> yes, it keeps me just organized enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I definitely don't want to say that all of my calendars actually keep me organized, but they give me the vague sense that this might be the day that it actually stays together. Yeah, yeah, there's a so, possibility. There's a chance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holding on to hope. Also, I love the visual of you being forced, like there's somebody standing over you, like <laughs> calendar, calendar. Get yeah. organized. Yeah, I, I guess kids force that on us, don't they? Children. <laughs> so thank you so much, Julie, for joining us here today. If people want to learn more about your farm or connect with you online, where should they look you up? I am most active on Instagram. That's my people. That's where I'm at every day. I am also on Facebook, of course. I have an Etsy shop and a website, and all of those are Stoner Family Farms. My, my website is sffvalpo.com. And other than that, like I said, Instagram is where you can find me. All right. Yes. Thanks, oh, Julie, for joining us today. Sorry. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash Barnyard Language to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making the show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you'd like to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We're always in search of future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network.